Hello everyone, and welcome back to the final episode of Season 2 of Archives and Futures, podcast for future generations. I am your host, Ivan Lozano. I use he, him, and they, them pronouns. And this season is a partnership between Archives and Futures and the DePaul Art Museum. We are calling it the Latinx American Podcast in honor of their exhibition, Latinx American, on view from January 7th through August 15, 2021. This exhibition features 38 Latinx artists from Chicago and beyond, 10 of which we will be interviewing for the season of the pod. The DePaul Art Museum's Latinx American exhibition and its accompanying programs like this one are provided through the generous support of the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts. Learn more about the exhibition and upcoming events at artmuseum.depaul.edu. And please share, subscribe, and rate this podcast so we can reach a larger audience. This episode is a very fitting end to the season. I'm chatting with the super inspiring Nicole Marroquin. This conversation just kept going. We went deep, you guys. It was a perfect interview to end the season. So, with that out of the way, let's enjoy this interview with Nicole Marroquin, which happened over Zoom on January 24, 2021. Enjoy! I'm Nicole Marroquin. I'm an artist and a teacher educator and a researcher and a mom and uh yeah i think that's about it um i mean that's a lot yeah not not from chicago um not really from the place i came before that but i grew up in ann arbor michigan uh born multiple generations in san antonio texas oh my god Uh, you're a texan as well by I consider myself Tex-Mex Max because my mom is full full Mexican and my dad is from Texas. So I definitely like identify with the Tex-Mex side a lot. Oh God, no. There's this thing. It's like uh, Tejano hegemony around here. Like, but I mean, like, if you notice, there's so many of us. I I find myself in places with tons of us. Like, oh, that's so funny. You too, huh? Well, uh, (laughs) I was in a conversation with... Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that's, I have family from both sides there, Laredo Mm -hmm. and Nuevo Laredo. So, um, uh, but my dad got, um, a scholarship to grad school at university of Michigan. And so we came up and they were like, oh my God, (laughs) the easy life. Oh yeah. We're not, we're not going back. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I can understand that, especially, I mean, one of the things that drove me up, I mean, was definitely also education, but Mm -hmm. I didn't like how hot it was. It's hot. <laughs> People don't get how hot it is. I'm like 115, man. Yeah, no, when it's like 115 for 70 days in a row or something, it's not easy. <laughs> it's outrageous. Yeah, no, I, 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 and and we didn't have AC when I was little, you know? Oh my like, gosh. I, I know we had a swamp cooler, you know, with the cold air with the fan it's not really but i don't remember being hot because i was little so i don't know you don't remember when you're little Mm -mm, mm -mm. sometime around like fourth or fifth grade i remember being like ugh. but (laughs) but then we moved to michigan where yeah yeah it's a whole it's a whole other um i consider it like a you know how some texans think texas should be its own country um i consider myself an expat you know in a way, because it's, you know, there's definitely a membership vibe there. Oh, yeah. 
there's definitely a lot of us who uh, left and there's this, when are you coming back thing? And, you know, how can yep. you live without it? And <laughs> it's a, it's its own place, you know, it's um unique in that way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's not Southern California either. That's no, a, and it's not Pueblo, you know, New nope. Mexico. It's a completely different culture too. Mm, no. Yeah. It's a, it's got its own yeah situation and i'm both sides of my family for generations are from one really small area which one san antonio <laughs> oh just san antonio okay i was yeah, wondering if it was like, like some smaller village or ranch or rancho like no, nearby yeah. no no like uh there's a little bit of you know coahuila little tiny town and a little bit of uh in Nuevo Leon and yeah. and but it's all like it's like tandem on both sides of the yeah. border like going back and forth and and so I was able to trace some stuff back to like the 1700s at course, one yeah. point where one of the states actually shared a governor with the state of Texas, right? So it was like, uh, uh, it wasn't like the line wasn't as pronounced, you know? Right. And, 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 um, and I also wonder how many people, given where San Antonio is and, and Laredo, that people just got you know, when you had to like denounce one membership or, you know, 1848, like if people got pushed over or, you know, um, cause, cause that region is hotter than, I mean, it gets progressively hotter and oh, yeah, dustier. Yeah. So, um, oh, yeah. you know, bless those people who, who, who live there for long periods of time, but it is a rugged snakes and oh yeah spiders and scorpions and hardcore shaking out shoes is no like regular with a house with regular doors we shook everything out i was scared there all the time <laughs> well it's also you know my family um it's like this is all on my dad's side but both you know my grandmother and my grandfather both families the stories are all about you know which brother and which sister lived on which side of the border and you know who married like across the border so there's this constant flow of like who was where um and then along with that came so much violence, including, you know, language and not learning English or, you know, who speaks Spanglish and who speaks, you know, real in quote unquote real English and who's mm -hmm. more guerito or who's more gabacho. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's just so much like violence and like internalized <laughs> white supremacy, I guess. Oh, <laughs> you know, my gosh. You know, no, I guess. White supremacy. It's so yeah. rough there. It's so rough. So much of the violence we commit towards each other and yeah. so much that yeah. uh um like they what was the there's some outrageous percentage of people um of mexican descent for a lack of since we're not getting into the terms yet but uh <laughs> mexican descent that are you know um the immigration naturalization service or border guards or whatever yeah. la, la migra or whatever right like that's it's a lot of our people like we're a lot of yeah, people really Patrol, buying yeah. into it yeah we're we're really buying into it you know this whole assimilation push is like there's a lot of it in in my family there and it's really yeah it's hard it's really sad yeah and then there's also the whole history in texas going along with that of of lynching of lynching yeah. latina of lynching mexicans you know along with black people of course but there were thousands and thousands of 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 of, of lynchings that you know border patrol had their hand in and yeah. there's so much violence in that zone from both sides you know so yeah so much yeah. Like alcoholism and poverty and you know families torn apart by the military and lots of stolen land <laughs> so much stolen land yeah and hatred of indigenous people like 
Yeah. Like, like I remember growing up hearing it. And then later I came to realize that people were saying Indio to mean stupid, but yeah. what that word meant, I was like, it sounds like, you know, it's weird how it sounds like, oh damn, that's what yeah. it is. Yeah. You know? So yeah, that place is charged up, but I actually, you know, that's the place I think that made me have to deal with stuff in another way and had to become an artist. I don't think, you know, I could have made sense of the world without it. It's just, you know, you can't use conventional means, you know, you no. can't go find a book, <laughs> no. you know, definitely not in the eighties and nineties. It was like, I mean, you've got what occupied America, you got like a hand, you know, yeah. There, it's not like there's a ton of different sources to find out what the hell, you know, the history. Yeah, there's a real investment in that silence. Yeah. Oh, and plus two, I think there's so much shame and, yeah. you know, and, and, I mean, it's complicated too. I mean, you know, here we are with a bit of luxury of distance and time and, you know, we won't be slaughtered for saying this in a public venue to say like, that's completely out of hand and racist and, you know, and we, and we're not like exactly at our old family gathering saying it either. So, but in some ways, like, like this is kind of a stretch, but I've thought about, you know, and in a way saying that um, South Texas uh, Mexicans have 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 the same uh, situation, but I've been thinking about the idea of a Northern migration. And, and it came about because I was thinking about all these people that I've been talking to in Chicago, right? Like through some of the interviews that I've done and just chats, so many people yeah. in Chicago who call themselves Mexicans were actually from South Texas. Yeah like they were u.s citizens or had lived in texas for some time and then came or were repa repatriated or were uh, so right like because around you know there's periods of time in texas where it doesn't matter what side you were born on you're just mexican yeah, yeah it mattered if you spoke english and what color your skin was totally and so even within like on one um uh, survey of people. It might have been census. I don't know, but I was looking at one survey, you know, an ancestry, and of the children, you know, one was listed as one Mexican, one was listed, same parents, you know, people, people come out different shades or whatever. But you know, um, yeah, it gives people definitely different opportunities in life. Uh, I did some research around that. Um, not probably not as deep as, as as you did, just because I know how thorough you are in your research, but. Sometimes. So much of it also was part of like, it was a railroad. The railroad started at the border there and then started moving up to Texas, from Texas to Chicago all the way. So it was trade routes. It was those commerce routes and, 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 and the railroads that in the end brought so many Mexicans or Tejanos to Chicago as well, um, including to Whole House. I mean, I read, for example, of like about the... Uh, the educational project at Hull House when so many Mexican slash Texans came to Chicago, mostly men, um, because they were working in the railroads to build mm -hmm. them all the way up here. And there was an important uh, sort of educational aspect to it. So for example, like Fiesta Ware mm -hmm. was yeah. stolen from Mexican artisans that made it at Hull House. And then yeah. somebody stole that and then made it, you know, made the money off of it. Yeah, um, yeah. I heard like the depression hit, and then Whole House Potter Pottery Workshop, uh, the factory shut down. 
and then somebody just yeah cribbed all their designs and right making them yeah yeah and then something well, else that sort of ties in with like things that you're interested in is also sort of the printmaking side and how mm -hmm. that mexican slash well you know starting in mexican but then moving on up you know same path sort of as like the monarch butterfly to sort of tie it up to some other things but uh those prints came up to chicago and that printmaking history from mexico of the revolution in mexico ended up here in chicago kind of uh changing a lot of the ways that people thought about printmaking or like the the, the political impact of prints there was that really good show at the mexican museum that uh that cesario um moreno curated about that about printmaking yeah there's been so many good print shows that's a yeah. that's an institution that really understands <laughs> and and also too i think uh it sort of feeds off of the really strong print culture here and then yes, it feeds yes. it back and yeah it's been yeah it just seems to constantly be um growing i mean a lot due to you know some recent energy in, injected into it with Gravadolandia, you know, yeah. it's been a real, real boost and a real boon, really. And it's like so much high energy people. <laughs> print making yeah. is its own unique high energy zone. I mean, between ceramics and print, it's like really honestly, like the best, the best art scene. It's they both stay consistently. Well, for the most part, consistently humble, you know, and, 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 you know, about the doing and the making as opposed to the God, I'm just so feeling very negative about like the art world. <laughs> Arts, I agree art with you. World. You know, I'm I'm trying to be really kind of um kind to myself about this. Just because, you know, it is a global pandemic. Yeah. And I feel that so many systems and networks and um institutions, um we're starting to look at them with a different eye because we kind of have to, right? Because yeah. we're stuck at home because we, you know, we're able to sort of think things through. And it's been really interesting um, to use a diplomatic word to yeah. uh, to consider those things and to consider our place in these in the in these things. Yeah, so many of our comrades are uh, disposable labor right now. Yeah. We're seeing, yeah, and seeing people who have literally brought the communities to these places, which is how they survive, you know, yeah. um, uh, having them just be cut off, you know, and cut loose in a way that's just uh, really brutal, you yeah. know, uh, the economy is a mess, but um yeah, I was in a, <laughs> I can't, I don't know. I don't know. How, yeah, how, let's go back. Let's, let's bring it back gonna... to South Texas and the beginning. And Ooh, let's, I mean, because <laughs> yeah, this is sort in of like thorny territory. Yeah. I was going to say, and maybe yeah. in like, you know, 30 years, we'll feel a little safer talking about that, but it's like, you know, it, it's funny to feel like part of that sort of precarious group to, you know, to, to, I mean, I've got some, you know, extreme, privilege but yeah. i don't uh think it's a hundred percent and i don't take it for granted at all either right, right. but but like so kind of to tie it back into what we're talking about with texas right like this, god we talk about history so little i think in my yeah. family my family is just like goodbye and put it in the past you know uh and and don't worry about like all the you know all the danger we we dodged you know or are the difficulties for real you know i was in my 30s like this is a kind of a brutal confession but i was in my 30s 
when I realized that the United Farm Workers struggle was a struggle made up of people who were from the United States. Yeah, I yeah. like had a, a lot of difficulty facing that and that um, and that everything that was happening in California was like, I don't know, it's ranking isn't really that useful, but it was worse in Texas. It was so bad. And that's when um, I started to face like what has been going on recently around here, you know, yeah. in like the past 12 years, I would say or so. Um, and the treatment of people and sort of this language that was sort of reemerging around, you know, it's like eugenicist language, like yeah. diseased people, the people that cannot be clean, even when you wash them with gasoline and stuff, you know, the, the disease carriers with the inferior um, uh, genetic stock, you know, and I started to think about um, uh, where that was popping back up again. And it's not just the most recent administration, which so long goodbye, I'm glad they're gone too, but um, it's been building, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think a lot about, uh, this and I've been talking, I've been raving about white supremacy. <laughs> I can't believe it was like mentioned in a presidential document. Me too, but you I know what? We have that. to, because otherwise that's the way that it stays in power by I'm, people like us not talking about it. Seriously. Directly. You know, during my tenure talk, I think in uh, 20, 2014 was my talk. And then I think it was granted in 2015. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, I, I had just gone to University of Michigan. We talk about white supremacy pretty openly. And I said it during my talk at my final talk. And like, I remember the room jumped and a bunch of people's heads snapped up. And I was like, oh my God, we got to be able to talk about this. Are people kidding? <laughs> Don't be babies about it. I mean, no offense to babies, but like, let's, let's talk about this. It's not a, it's not like a, a yeah problem for people of color to deal with. This is everybody's problem. And now I just feel like the chickens are coming home to roost, man. Yeah, we're getting into also, again, you going back into that territory, because especially in the academy, I mean, I had situations at SAIC when I was there. And I, I feel like, you know, my kind of um, my political, um, how to put it, my level of comfort talking about these things has definitely grown over time. But you know, there were definitely examples where or situations where you know, somebody in the room in the class, you know, that was about, what was this class about? It was like a graduate seminar and somebody, you know, accused me of being, you know, the identity politics person, um, you know, or also just like, I was looking a lot of at like in my work, just like in yours, you know, we think a lot about, you know, where we come from and the sort of the, uh, the history of, 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 of visual language of our culture yeah. and being met with blank stares you know the luxury of that the luxury of those blank stares man yeah. <laughs> yeah the luxury of those blank stares and then also the um the violence of of, of making those things invisible or, or having to sort of justify that these are valid things for me to talk about because it's my history you know yeah. and it's a history and it's a visual language and it yeah so right like the that that there could be something else <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it's but all of a sudden isn't what you're saying it's about it's clearly about you don't understand how to draw something or you don't understand this like this method of doing something yeah yeah i think there's a lot of growth that we still need to yeah. to nurture i mean it, i've heard uh i mean it's if 
and not just after a crisis, you know, and not just right, when we're no, in the a, face of an emergency. I mean, we need a sea change, but I feel like there's um, young people are leading the way, you know, I'm not to yes. give young people every single hundred percent of everything all the time, but I feel like it was a perfect storm too, you yeah. know? I mean, we were, were I not to be a, that person, but I am that person in this case. I'm turning 51. You need to be week. those people. And, I, yeah, and I'm feeling it like, damn it, I saw this shit coming a mile away. Yeah. <laughs> I've been talking about it. I'm like the nerd who's been like reading the intelligence report and, and knowing these people were out there and counting them and following the stats. And, you know, I mean, I, I won't win any popularity words for this, but like I used to like sneak onto and never commented but like on all those white supremacy skinheads websites and the discussion boards i would sneak my way in and just read them because i'm just i can't not know what they're doing because you right. know they're up to no good right. and i'm talking That's... about like the 90s and the two early 2000s is when i was and now i'm just too delicate i think after two kids i'm just so nervous yeah <laughs> but i have really i just was like what's their logic you know and i guess now that we've got like the QAnon ding dongs and stuff like we we know like it's not a logic right it's mental illness it's a uh i would say there's a fair amount of brainwashing like yeah. so i grew up in the 70s right so um like the big fear when i was growing up because there were so many of them was cults you know yeah, yeah. and there were so many cults and they brainwash people and yeah, they make yeah. they make really you know okay people think really not okay stuff yeah, they make them steal from their parents and, you know, you know, believe in like, you know, nonsense and commit harms against themselves and other people. You know, I was like real fascinated by that stuff when I was growing up um, uh, and about like how Charles Manson convinced all those women to kill for him. And, you know, I mean, he might be a kook, but not enough to keep him out of prison. Right. Like he's right. Wasn't that, you know, um, and so, yeah, it's a it's a interesting thing that's happening. There's some people that have survived cults that are saying, you know, it's not um, it's not likely these people are going to come running back to this other way of seeing the world or hearing new news because it's got that weird trap inside of this particular system of thinking, which is like if you've ever had a like a <laughs> I don't know if this is I don't know if this is in bounds or not. You can cut it out if it's not, but you know, a friend who's, um, has a drug problem and doesn't sleep enough and anything that happens, they're like, do you see that? I told you, or, you know, and you're like, that's not real. And they're like, that's what would happen if, you know, if it really yeah. was true. And, you know, exactly. It has like that fail safe built into it where like, if you don't believe it, it's proof that it's real. <laughs> it just makes you want to bang your head against the wall, you know, and you're like, oh, brother, you know, give me the dark gun. <laughs> you have to sleep. For <laughs> yeah, at least Heaven's Gate was like a little clearer in what they were doing or something. <sighs> yeah, but what an end. I mean, yeah, see, that's the thing is, uh, you know, leading up to it, a lot of people were saying, oh, that's what this, these are all test runs, you know, like yeah. these are just checks. And, and I'm like, damn, if I, w I wish I didn't know about these things. Cause yeah, they are. <laughs> yeah. They were test runs. Yeah. Like what happened in Michigan. Mm -hmm. Michigan, Man, test run. I know those kind of people too, you know, yeah. um, they were just around. It wasn't even like a, they weren't like, you know, we just go skinny dipping at this play, place where, you know, a lot of those, you know, you know, I mean, the Unabomber is also an anarchy, but that's a separate thing. <laughs> but like, you know, the, the, uh, 
white the supremacists. Federal, the, yeah, the federal building security. bombing, like the guy Timothy McVeigh stuff, like those radio show guys, and like yeah. all that stuff was just around. And yeah. and the way Michigan was, you know, especially if you were like into punk rock and you know going out and being places and with lots of alcohol and fires and stuff. Let me just say, like. <laughs> there was a yeah a lot of those people just sort of blended in and plus ann arbor is really tolerant you know yeah. um they're like come one come all Gigi allen can live here without anybody kicking his ass a lot which he probably could have used more um jerk i went to undergrad at ut austin which is oh, yeah. very similar to uh, ann arbor in a lot of ways like that sort of like small liberal place where all these crazy things happen and it also has like a very important sort of music scene. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to hear you talk about punk as a way to sort of gain this consciousness. Because I definitely think that that was a, you know, music was a huge part of me sort of gaining a political and sort of a, um, a knowledge of the world and a consciousness that sort of escaped or was uh, bigger than, than where I was living. And I've definitely heard that from people, from friends of mine that, you know, are still involved in like the punk scene. Um, yeah. Uh, for they learned theory, you know, mm -hmm. theory for them wasn't about, I read this in the book and then I'm going to write a report about it. It's, I need to learn this because I'm going to kick a fascist's ass. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause like we're at a good show. Yeah. You They're know, ruin everything. And, and then they come up and start doing some, oh man, I was yeah. at this really good, good show. It. Man, best show ever, because it's also very Texas-oriented on theme here. Um, I was at a show in Detroit. Um, it was either at the Greystone or the Hungry Brain. It was probably like in... Uh, this is probably the best show I ever went to in my whole life, I think. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, uh, and it was like 1986. And I think um, the Butthole Servers were headlining. And Scratch Acid was touring with them. So oh my gosh. Texas bands. <laughs> yeah. And then the bands that warmed up for them uh oh i think one night oh it was butthole servers weekend two two nights and so one weekend was like killdozer opened up for them which is some wisconsin heat of, of fabulousness and then the other night i think was like the bats who are from ann arbor and a couple other bands uh, but anyway so um uh during one one set i think maybe the bats were playing i can't even remember it was either the bats and scratch acid both got into this with these people and these skinheads get up in the front and they start see highling the band right and this is like, this is in a part of Detroit where um, like a lot of bikers hang out and it's yeah. sort of, you know, it's pretty rough. Um, and uh, and um, at one point, people in the band put all their instruments down and jumped off and onto them, kicked their asses and then got back on stage and started playing oh, again. Wow. <laughs> like, yay, go team. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think... Um, you know saying fuck fascism has been a thing for a while but then yeah. also uh like the critiques are really interesting you know and then then there's bands that were maybe making um less critical critiques that mm -hmm. needed to get slapped around or you know told to stand down um yeah it was a really interesting scene to be in it was exceedingly white but not 100 percent yeah. Um, especially in Michigan, there's like some, a lot of, uh, other folks, you know, Yeah. and it was a bit macho man-ish for me. I mean, the eighties was like, yeah, I can see in the eighties, especially. Yeah. I mean, when I was, uh, when I was going to a lot of those shows, when I was in, in college and right afterward, it was mostly hardcore bands by that point, you yeah. know, sort of the, 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 sort of the punk had moved into that and 
partly because of geography a lot of them were latino mm-hmm. um cool but you know back in mexico i was like always obsessed with like all the punks with the giant hair and going yeah. to like the tianguis on saturdays to like get like the punk albums and see them and they were like so scary but also like it was like oh my god i want to kind of be like them just because like they have sort of a confidence um that I lacked as a little like gay kid that didn't know what was going on back then. Um, oh, and the liberation, like yeah, the liberation. So seeing goths and punks for me it was like, oh my god, I want to be oh, that. Man. I'm so jealous that you were like seeing people in Mexico and like South Texas, and that's what I was missing so bad. Like I come back and visit family because we came yeah. back at least every year and go to San Antonio and go to like, you know. Oh gosh, I'm gonna forget all the names of the cool bars we, my cousin would take me to. Uh, dang. Oh well. Anyway, another day. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but I remember being there and just being like, "Wow, man!" Like, and also too, like the punk scene and the and the gay scene. Everybody was together. And uh, uh, God, was this place called Taco Land? Maybe I can't remember. But there I'm was, sure there was a place called Taco Land. There's probably like yeah. seventy. And it was like a punk ass wild and like stunk. yeah those shows happen in like pizza parlors all the time for example yeah. like and right yeah and i was like well the like real estate is shaped differently in texas yeah. than it is in michigan you know um even though we had like detroit empty spaces you know uh but we had um it, it's just different i don't know i really was really um bummed to have to go back to the land of like super white dude land because i was down there at that place and i was like it's like a lesbian bar that's also a punk bar that also has food and everybody's mexican (laughs) yeah why can't we have that (laughs) (laughs) so did you think did you feel when you were growing up that there wasn't that much um kind of i don't like mexican or tejano culture around was it mostly like white folks that you had to did you feel yeah yeah no i mean it was my parents like when i was a kid Mm. there was like the, the you know we knew this Dominican family across town. Like it really, it was not. Oh, that was it. Oh, it was my parents' desert. friends. Yeah, these girls that are um, from Nepal were my friends. Like it was really, I was just you know I grew up in a mostly black neighborhood with you know uh, yeah it just wasn't I did I but we went back to Texas all the time right yeah and so I knew who I was in Texas because I have you know like 40 cousins and I can see them all and I understand how I fit into stuff. And then I'm in Michigan and people are like, are you Korean? I was like, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what, you know, I just felt like it was a different planet. I didn't yeah. know, you know, um, and it's all relative, you know, your identity is relative when you're like, when you're Thano, like you don't have a fixed, it's a, it's like you're a turtle, you know, you're, that's why I was like thinking about your body being your homeland, you know, and you just take it with you. I never had the vibe of like, um, I have a place I should be or have a membership to, or I don't have belonging feelings, you know, I was always real jealous of, um, here, especially, I hope I wasn't mean to anybody because of it, but I was like jealous of people from Mexico because they have a, you know, even if they're like real critical, you know, like my partner like people just on like you know the 16th or something like they'll start singing a song and he'll get a little twinkle and i'm like are you crying <laughs> like i don't have that place i don't have that feeling for any place <laughs> you know uh, well, I, I mean if it's any comfort not that it's about comfort but you know it's it's a typical need that you need yeah because i mean when i was growing up in mexico 
since I had the Tejano side of me, I wasn't Mexican enough. Oh, right. And then in, in, when I moved to Texas, I wasn't American enough. Oh. And then I was queer and an artist on top of that. So like, you know, that's the sense of belonging. I mean, I never really felt as Mexican as I have since I moved to Chicago. For wow. Example. And I think that's an issue of distance, you know, and of sort of seeing like, well, those things don't matter anymore because here none of us are either too Mexican or too American because we just sort of like all ended up here or something. I don't know. Maybe it's also just age, probably. Uh, yeah, I wonder. And also there's been so many sort of jumps in yeah. the ways that people talk about things, you know. And the internet. Um, and the internet and and also too more thanks to the youth and and sure. the advancement of sort of discussions around gender you know if we identity in general it, for sure but gender, yeah yes. yeah because if we had stopped there we would be winning but um then we continued on and here we are like a roll a rock rolling down a hill and picking up the moss right like gathering up ideas uh, around like chicanidad right yeah. and which already things were getting queered right you know yeah. and and these sort of cat the categories were already getting you know categories were in question in general and and that's great but like um here we go i'm glad we all had read the prerequisites because here it comes i know i know but you know what i'm really proud of like you know, here we are the sort of the older people talking about it, but like of the youth and like their ability to to really dive into this head first and talk mm -hmm. about identity and talk about nomenclature and talk about um, gender and talk yeah. about the ways that language and, and culture kind of uh, force you down paths that maybe don't feel so comfortable for you. Yeah, yeah. That sort of, you know, the basically like the, the, the gender language, you know, and all those ideas that like, if, like previously, if you ever ran into them was in an academic setting, probably at a graduate level or something. Whereas now, you know, 13 year olds are talking about it. Oh yeah. And they're not putting up with the trash anymore. No. There's so much trash and, and they're over it, you know, like, uh, and the body shame stuff that we've, I've got so many scars from growing up with that kind of stuff and, yeah. and they're just not having it, you know? Um, and, I don't know. I have a 20 year old kid who's just like shuts me down and is like, no, with this stuff and stop this. And oh, is that, you know, is that something that you say to your friend? Like, you can't say that to me, though. I'm like, damn. <laughs> like, like, it's fierce, though. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. I know. It's like I have a private tutor. I don't take it for granted at all. Believe oh, me. Oh, that's amazing. It's so encouraging. <laughs> Yeah, but it's also like, a, um, I feel like I had learned it and internalized it and then I'm still blowing it constantly. But it's yeah. sort of like, you know, like fat phobia, like it's a constant battle. I feel yeah. like that particular battle is going to be one that we're going to be fighting for a really long time. I mean, so there, some people have done some heavy lifting on this and I feel like we're getting somewhere and the young people are also like, we're just going to put that in the basket of the stop the bullshit, you know, and we're not you know we're, we're done with that and there's so yeah. many people out there putting in the work and i'm just oh i just feel like that's like one of the frontiers that along with you know um latinx people's anti-blackness problems which... yes i'm so happy that that's something that's really been taken up by <laughs> finally by by the youth <laughs> yeah, right? really sort of tackling it because it's such yeah. an important issue in latinx culture mm -hmm. even the term latinx is you know contested right there but let's just take it for now 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, the anti-blackness is a huge thing because yeah. it happens all the time and it's really toxic. And it's also, oh gosh, it's it's holding us back. There's so yeah. Yeah, I just heard this great podcast. Oh gosh, I'm gonna be able to remember anybody's names. It just um uh was a thrill uh to hear it's in the um, the podcast called the lit review and um they actually took on um uh gloria anzaldua's book uh borderlands la frontera and it's oh it's just it's it's tasty and i needed it because so here's the thing is we have all these zones that are like off limits you know like this is sacred you can't touch it no we need to start digging into this stuff and i'm you know i'm the first one to like you know curl up in a ball and (laughs) <laughs> try to you know like you know not get beat up too much because in in you know i'm not protecting anti-blackness by any means i think i'm uh uh there's just other zones maybe i won't even name because i get second to talk about it but like there's stuff that's real you know yeah there's we have a lot to work on and i think um uh some of us who sort of bear the scars of some of this you know nonsense that's been going on for eons um yeah it's 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 not uh i'm not protecting any of these issues but i feel like oh i feel like i need a rest sometimes you know um it's tough i so here's the other thing that the young people have introduced to me and i was like yeah whatever i was like you know i'm listening to you about this because i think it's kind of nonsense but who did i learn about it being real recently is um all that self-care stuff yeah how about that? No more wearing ourselves out. No more knocking ourselves out until we're, you know, no longer able to function. Like until that. your body stops. Yeah. I had to learn that the hard way a couple of times. There's been, there's been times that like the universe has told me, you know what, you need, you're going to rest now. Mm. So yeah, that's, that's a real lesson. And Here's the thing about that. And going back to like what you said about having your own sort of like territory or something, I think it's really easy when there's so many threads to pull from and so many avenues to go down to feel like you have to go through every single one of them. And the reality is that we can't, you know, if we could, then it probably wouldn't be a problem anymore. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we all kind of have to work on our little bit, like, however we can in our daily lives. And we have, I'm not even going to say 24 hours a day because I think we need to sleep for eight. So let's say right. you know, we have eight to 10 good hours a day to, to handle things. So yeah. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's important yeah, to, 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 to put limits on yourself and to put limits on what you can do and, and to be realistic about stuff because otherwise you're just hurting yourself. And what's the point of that? Yeah. Yeah. You're especially in a, in a, in a pandemic too it doesn't make any sense to stay up all night doing work you know i am talking and i'm addressing myself at this i know this is about we're giving this is a portion of the podcast where we give ourselves advice (laughs) because because the other thing is like and we're doing all this for who yeah in the end Mm. and that's an important lesson too like figuring out like okay so why am i doing this and and then who gains from this and why is it not me and my people yeah right i know and it's like if i'm gonna invest all this like please let me live to the plate to to the age where i can enjoy some of it you know what i mean exactly that's the other thing it's like we have to like build in time to enjoy our wins yeah and 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 aging is real it's really Mm -hmm. it's throwing me for a loop you know i'm also getting to that 
it's this time every year around my birthday, which I don't really believe in birthdays, but like. I'm in the same spot. I mean, I'm literally in the same spot. I was just talking to my partner about that, that, you know, my birthday's coming up. I always kind of get depressed. I'm in March, so I'm already March 5th. But but I was definitely thinking about that, that, yeah, that's like, I don't have the energy to do what I did when I was 23. Me neither. And, you know, there's been some real smart people talking about taking it easy, you know. I think the the thing we're going to have to be ready for is um, when everybody says we're going back to quote unquote normal and was, we're going to yeah. say down with racial capital. I refuse to. Oh, hell no. And, and, you know, I think a whole lot of people who are put in this position of uh, 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 recognizing that they were put in the position of uh, just being disposable labor, you know, yeah. Yeah. aren't going to put up with this. I again. hope not. And, and I, and I'm, you know, I really hope, uh that teachers are 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 gonna have a legal route to stand their ground and not you know teaching is not about risking your life there's so much evil customer service type language out there around teachers better sacrifice their lives it's like man i think you got it mixed up (laughs) yeah about to see the power of teachers And it's really interesting because in those same conversations, you know, there's still, and this will sort of guide us into work. There's a couple of points I want to get to, but yeah, you know, there, there, there's still this sort of expectation from for teachers that, you know, we're still doing this or that you're still doing this because, you know, you're in the trenches a lot more than I am, but um, that there's this heroic side to teaching, which is definitely real. But then there's this history that comes from like 1968, which we'll get to, and even previous to that, of like educational systems and the sort of the liberatory aspects of education. Mm. Um, and it's lip service in the in, in the way, you know, it's like, look at us, we're still doing this, except we need you to write an impact statement on this and that. So in your spare time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the the idea of labor is a really interesting one. And and I think that the internet and being you know stuck at home if you're lucky enough to be able to do that um or having to see the world when everybody else is stuck at home if you're not lucky enough to do that yeah it's really shining a light on these things it is right and all these people who are saying you know teachers aren't (laughs) working super hard right now really have no idea what teaching is right i I think they're mixing up with something else yeah yeah, I've been, yeah, I got a lot of feelings about this stuff. You Oof. know, somebody was well, like a career waitress yeah. and moved into this other zone, but whew, yeah. Let's save him a little bit and let's talk about history because, you know, this yeah. won't come out until like April. So by mm-hmm. then, you know, through hook or crook, something, it's going to be a different situation, but it's going down. Talk though, about yeah. <laughs> the history of them because, you know, yeah. it's sort of, I want to bring up, for example, like the, uh, the work that you've done with, um, with student movements in Chicago um that ties into punk in a way because of like posters and it talks it it, it it sort of ties into that uh those ideas and then also as somebody who doesn't come from chicago how did you get invested or involved in in um in researching and and making these histories available for people and, and, and active well you know i feel like um I don't think I had, I didn't have 
history education. Yeah. I didn't have good history education. I was in art history, which, you know, is a little problematic, you know, so there's some right. you know, some required classes that, yeah. yeah, some required classes you got to take that don't have you in it and sort mm -hmm. of like trying to talk me into being invested in Eurocentrism. That's how I felt it was, you know, and like, it's just heaven forbid there'd be a woman ever anywhere in the history of anything. And, and, you know, here, here's like all the, you know, I'm coming through with like all this heavy burden of yeah. like, you know, that and being in a, you know, primarily white institution. And then, you know, um, I, I, my work is really centered on, on community building and working with people, you know, and, and it takes a while. Um, it took me a while to readjust. I've lived here over 50% of my life in Chicago at this point. Because I moved here back and forth a bunch of times from Ann Arbor. Okay. Um, just because you know Ann Arbor's, you know, you, you don't want to be a felt like a fly in the buttermilk, but I was like the unidentifiable fly, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I also just feel like um really excited about the schools. To be honest, you know, I yeah. came here at least one of the times to teach in CPS and um and came back because I'm excited about it. Um. I'm, I, I, I found there were so many things about history that were truly remarkable, like powerful, exciting, and uh, unbelievable to me. And, and I was also wondering why everybody wasn't jazzed about it and talking about it. And, you know, there are people who do, I mean, I didn't um, do all the primary research myself in any of these cases, there's lots of research on, but it's like, you know, in someone's dissertation in an archive or in a journal that nobody has access to. And, um, and I'm really interested in uh, kind of sort of public history right mm -hmm. and what people know about a place and so um you know i rushed when i when i was um moving back here in 2008 i just rushed back to be in a community where i would just be one of millions <laughs> you know i don't want i wanted to blend in i wanted to like nobody be like are you Korean? Like nothing against Korean people either. I said yes many times because I didn't know. People speak Arabic to me all the time in Michigan and I'm like, hell yeah, you know, um, but I'm, I just wanted to not like my origins not to be even a question. Yeah. And I want, didn't want my kids to grow up like I grew up. Right. And I wanted them to be situated and, and see themselves relative to people and kind of understand that they have a place and they know who they are. And I, cause I felt a lot of loss around that yeah. growing up in Michigan. Um, but, uh, I also got was so excited about this history and I was like, all of a sudden, um, becoming hyper aware of, uh, what was happening in terms of big development and, um, um, property and land and sort of learning the history of the Chicago 21 plan and hearing about the activism. And I was becoming aware of, uh, um, some stories that I was like, man, I grew up hearing about LA, you know, like as a, as a Tejano, like all day long, you're hearing about the Chicano blowouts in LA and you're like, why don't they talk about Crystal City, you know, or whatever, <laughs> you know, but like still, where's all the Chicago stories, you know? And I found out like some census numbers and I was like, why are these all off? Like, I know that there was a lot of people here and then, you know, little at a time, like the Lily Fernandez, Brown and the Windy City comes out and all these things start to pile up. But around those times too, I just started talking to people 
and um, trying to find out like, you know, what were these big events? Like how did these institutions, all these homegrown institutions in Pilsen come to be? Like who were the people that made them? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the stories are just remarkable and I want to find ways of just getting them into, into, right. yeah. And into young people's hands, you know, because yeah. I was teaching in, in the schools and I was like, how <laughs> there's so much like things to be proud of. Where is all of it to, for the young people to get so that they have an aim or they know about struggles and, and they have like a civil rights history, basically. That's what I wanted. You know, um, like here we are reaping the benefits, enjoying the legacies of people who were hit with sticks by police when we were considered less than human beings. Like, can we get that history written down someplace or, or in a place translated from like academic speak or historical research, you know, and, and it's, and it's coming about little by little. It's a, not a one person effort. I think that's why I'm like, have a tendency to put stuff out and just be like, have at it. And then when I start doing that stuff, people start giving me things. <laughs> people start saying, Hey, if you're, I've gotten so many weird text messages and emails from people. Like one time I got an email from somebody who said, um, I graduated from Harrison high school in 1971. And, and then I answered them and I was like, Oh really? Oh, that's exciting. Tell me more. And they didn't answer me and they never answered me back. You know, <laughs> one time I was giving a, like a, you know, a tour of something that's not there, you know, standing in front of where Froebel school would have been at, at Damon and 21st, but that crowd of people from a tour bus, it was a really cold day and uh, we're all standing there freezing. And, and um, I had them holding little pictures of Froebel school and holding it up to where it would have been and trying to imagine what it would have looked like. Right. Cause it was, it was a huge building where this, um, where this community protest happened and then student uprisings and then police attacks and really incredibly vile violence against um, people in the neighborhood. And, um, and somebody just was walking past me and they were like, what are you doing? And they were like, oh yeah, I was there. And they just kept walking. Oh and then God. somebody grabbed a number from them and then I called them and I was talking to them and Puerto Rican guy grew up living on that street, had been going actually to the Catholic school, St. Anne's up the street. And he's telling me about it. And I'm like, oh my God, that's so interesting. Oh, I said, can I record you? And then he hung up on me. And that kind of thing happened a few times where people were like, why do you want to know? In a really unexpected way. Yeah. And um, there was a lot of, I would say, police terrorism um, from like yeah. the Red Squad, the secret arm of the Chicago Police Department that was you know, created to do what like Cointelpro would do, you know, yeah. like the, to just terrorize people and, and to beat the crap out of them and Make um, them disappear sometimes. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, so a lot of like at the root of a lot of the stuff I'm looking at is um, like police and schools. Right. Yeah. And so like that is sort of <laughs> an issue right now. Uh, but it's something I've been curious about and thinking about, like, how did we end up here? You know, like, what are the, what are the assumptions that we've made all this time? Like, when did it start? You know, where has it been happening? Cause it's not in all schools. There's, that's why people are like, what's the big deal? It's like, well, you don't have them. Yeah. <laughs> or if you do. This hasn't uh, affected you. That's why you don't think it's a big deal. Or when you see the blue light, you know, flashing on the corner with the surveillance cameras, you feel safe. 
Right. I saw somebody <laughs> describe uh, that white people think the, the police is customer service. Oh my goodness. Well, they are protecting them and yeah. we shall see it is their customer exactly. service. Yeah. We'll see how far these people that storm the Capitol uh, actually um, how, you know, how, what this compares to what other people experience, you know, I don't have very high hopes, but I also don't, I'm a, you know, kind of on the, abol I would say I'm more firmly on the abolitionist side than I ever have been in my life. It just yeah. progresses. Um, and I don't know if that would resolve it. You know, I would rather see, um, I would rather see the problems fixed. Yeah. Than, well, I mean, you know, we've tried so many things and so far, you know, giving them tanks, surprise hasn't worked mm. so i mean uh, them them you know uh I, I can't imagine how you know prison or anything is gonna do anything except for invisibilize it to the people who are not in it exactly yeah um oh yeah what a yeah. moment we're living through it's a it's wild but um at the same time though it is completely logical within the systems of white mm -hmm. supremacy you know and racial capitalism that we've we've built, you know, and that we've maintained, that we've we've carefully and lovingly nurtured, you know, and so I'm really interested in trying to figure out how to look for these instances and the histories and try to see what's, you know, what's brewing for us now, you know? Yeah. Well, and another side of that is, you know, we were talking about getting older and, you know, what do you do when you feel like there's just so many things that you still have to do or take care of and you know the reality is that a really important thing that we're doing to sort of puff you you know both yourself and myself up is showing examples of things you could be doing and bringing up those histories and talking about them yeah. and having conversations about them and also having making them available for younger generations to then feel like they can do that themselves yeah yeah and looking at the people that have been in the struggle you know yeah. the unsung heroes absolutely oh my gosh that's why you know there's so many women who had a lot of kids who got so much done i yeah. feel like ooh, trying not to <laughs> but i'm like where's all the what yeah i mean yeah well they lived in a different time and you know we're sort of inventing the way that like that's something i take very seriously now as i'm sort of heading into a different stage of my life like i'm I'm trying to imagine the kind of person I wish I would have an, had an example mm -hmm. of them existing in the world. Oh, that's a, yeah. Because there wasn't one. I mean, I'm sure that in Ann Arbor, you had no idea what you would, what your life could be like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I had a lot of ideas of what it could have been like if I was white. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, imagining, you know, impossible things for myself was like a full-time job, but then, then leaving and then seeing actually that, no, there's work for me that yeah. is particular to me that I could do that would be useful, you know, like modeling kinds of behaviors or, you know, being present for people. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, being, uh, doing well in front of uh, uh, people who um, need a model, you know? Exactly. Even I though like- I Sometimes there is no model and sometimes you just kind of yeah. like, you know, fake your way through it or sort of, you know, hit your head on the, on the wall enough times until you figure out the path. Cause I think that's something that's really um, 
amazing about your practice is sort of the social side to it and the pedagogical side to it. And what you said, you know, it's too much work for one person, but you are bringing in all these communities to, to share the brunt of the, of the, of the labor while at the same time they're getting so much from it they're 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 they're, they're getting sort of an agency over their history you know well, i and feel they, like it's more of like an yeah i just want to like sort of farm it out to them yeah. and be like you know this isn't a cliffhanger story it actually the, i haven't done the rest of the work you know yeah. i think it's really crucial to be um like as flawed and as you know change your mind about stuff like i have three editions of that harrison high school uprising poster because i learned one more thing and i'm like oh my god it's totally different and i have yeah. to change it you know like it has to it, it it's history isn't fixed it's not you know time doesn't just move in one direction and i'm having a lot of I'm learning a lot. I mean, this history too, like in these amazing people who were out in the struggle and, and making these movements, um, uh, what they were, uh, like they've done so much to shape my life, you know? Yeah. And I mean, this stuff feeds me. It gives me confidence. I'm. It makes me feel like, uh, it gives me the hope, you know? It's become yeah. like this hope generating thing. And um so on one hand too, you know, I'm like, oh, I don't want to stay up till four in the morning reading this, you know, <laughs> random paper from 1971 about this car, you know, whatever. Uh, but I do want to read it because yeah. it actually, you know, I'll feel kind of cruddy tomorrow, but I, I really, um, it's, it's got, there's a lot of things that people built yes. that could be really useful to us now. You know, uh, people are like, oh, what are we going to do about schools? I'm like, well, you know, some people had some really good ideas <laughs> and they wrote them down, <laughs> you know, and, and people, people just weren't ready. You know, they just weren't ready for it. You know, uh, like before, you know, standardized testing and and privatization yeah. was like this big headache to everybody. Like we had brilliant things going on. You know, there was yeah. wonderful. There was a lot of propaganda against the schools and ooh, they did not like you know, uh, some of the progress that was happening. And we can point to how people react to that now in politics. Like we can now all together as a country say, there is white supremacy and it does mess our stuff up. And we can call it what it is when it's happening. You know, it, it doesn't make us, you know, um, I remember somebody told me, that's really divisive language, Nicole. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's something beautiful about having lived through the eighties. You know, I, I just swear somebody, somebody one time said to me, I was like railing against the patriarchy and somebody was like, you're really fucking things up for men, Nicole. And I was like, <laughs> I am. Ah, oh. sorry, man. Wow. <laughs> you flatter me. Uh, thank <laughs> you. Come on. <laughs> really? I was like, I'm just fucking things up for you. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Somebody else in the room. <laughs> uh huh. Anyway. Uh, yeah, and you know, so much of that is also what I was going to say is like, you know, in these histories, another thing that that is um, really sort of like soul nurturing is sort of seeing that most of these people are just trying to get through the day in the end, you know, it's like, we're trying mm -hmm. to make things better. And there's yeah. a real sort of freedom that comes along with that, at least, you know, to sort of feel like, okay, I can affect the future by just getting through my day and doing the best that I can for myself and for others and trying to raise other people up, you know, but like, I don't have to have a final project, 
you know it doesn't need to be perfect and finished it's just it's a constant sort of struggle that we're going through and i think at least for myself you know there's a there's a freedom in knowing that um that it's ongoing that's the beautiful thing about struggle yeah. right is is it isn't like resulting in a product and right. that's the hard part about the art world is yes is it's trying to turn everything into a product yeah something for rich people to put above their couch or for institutions to you know lock up in a and in, in the in the warehouse when in reality you know i don't really care to generate stuff to fill space for other people you know my trust is so low right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and at the other hand, too, it's like uh, there's these things that artists have built that are really strong and, and you know, movements that artists have loaned themselves to and that have been, you know, uh, led by artists and yeah. and like us allowing things to get out of our hands is part of the issue, too, you know. Like there's ways that we can sort of rein it in. I think I don't think that we've we it's hopeless. I don't know. I feel like there's a a lot of directions we can go and a lot of you know making sure that we're in in the driver's seat or yeah. having some sort of control over um uh big some of the bigger issues. Um, I'm trying to keep it vague so I don't get myself. No, I agree with you, and I and and I and I hear you there, but. I think it, you know, feeling agency is, is, is really important. And especially when you're not coming from the dominant group, there are ways that you can feel your own agency and have agency in your life and in your world that people can't take away from you. So creation is one of them, you know, like mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's really strange when artists don't put their work around their own homes, because for me, filling my home with things that I make and with images that I create for me is a way of having agency over my space. And mm -hmm. this maybe also has to do with, you know, being an expat from Mexico or having moved to a country where I didn't come from and being an immigrant, mm -hmm. but being able to create my own environment and have control over it is, is, is a way that I can locate myself and sort of have that space or that belonging. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and it's so strange the way that artists are sort of considered, regarded as, uh, I don't know what, <laughs> people trying to get a free lunch or something. There's a lot of yeah. things, a lot of assumptions about us and that artwork isn't. Yeah, that's, that's another that's another struggle we're going to have to keep pressing on is the, the labor of art and what it is, what that labor looks like and when right. is it happening, you know, and, you know, sort of the, the perks of, of uh these other pedagogies that we've been exposed to through art, which is yeah. something I'm really excited about, you know, how interdisciplinarity is, it's part of it. You know, it's not that you're also a podcaster. I mean, it's part of the work. It's the work. It's, part, right? it's my practice. It's my primary practice right now in a way is getting yeah. these stories online and having these conversations with people. Yeah. Interdisciplinarity. It's like, I don't know. I can't expect the institutions to, I mean, I like to use the word, but it's not going to be generated from institutions. It's going to be people coming up with this and innovating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's also, I mean, for me, it's the example of history. I sort of noticed that the history that resonated the most with me was the one that artists created for themselves. Mm -hmm. It was the sort of the artifacts that they left around. It was the primary sources. And it wasn't the essay that, you know, a, uh, no shade to art historians, but that some, you know, art historian or curator wrote about 
you know, how this work fits into the museum or the history of like the art market or something, you know, it was how the artists thought about their work and their practice and, and what that meant for them. Like, what are you thinking of? I'm curious. I'm wondering like what specifics you're thinking of. Cause this sounds so interesting. Well, for example, like I don't care too much uh, about, um, I'm a lot more interested in like the zine creation process of some artists mm -hmm. than in their sort of the, their major works. Oh yeah. To bring it back to music. I'm more interested in the B-sides than I am in the singles, you know? Mm -hmm. Like the traces of their life and the way that, um, for example, Felix Gonzalez Torres thought about his work in regards to his history as a Cuban and in regards to um, maybe uh, Santeria. Mm. That to me is a lot more fulfilling than thinking about, you know, how amazing it was that an institution puts candy back every day. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, understandably too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's sort of the first example that came to my mind. The way that, that the fact that those piles are his way of dealing with the pain of his life is a lot mm -hmm. more interesting to me than thinking about how that changed the idea of material in an institution or in in an art market. Yeah, that weird self self referential thing that sort of like becomes bigger than the art that yeah. ends up being the thing that yeah right hmm. yeah i understand that and zines too like just when you mentioned that it, they're just so hard to i mean they're hard to catalog they're hard to yeah. find you know they're not digitized all the time although some are some really good you know digital archives are getting you know yeah thank god yeah yeah really seriously and then also too like even just as a, you know, person entering the second half of my hundred year life, <laughs> uh, like they're, they're just scattered throughout all my stuff, you know, yeah. like stuck into books and, and in things that are not important. And, uh, like, I remember going through things and being like, oh, these three zines I don't need and getting rid of them and being, but they're paper thin. Like I could have kept them. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why. I have no idea why I did and now I look back and I'm like, oh, that was like Sister Serpent handmade zines. Like, I why haven't I kept that? That was stupid. But they're they're a they're a, they're such a they evade sort yeah. of uh, being in history and in any kind of an official way. I love it, you know, or like uh, the different versions of stuff that's out there yeah, and there's no version written about yeah. it. Yeah, I love that. I really love that. And then you know I see my role as an artist also not just as you know obviously not about like the big museum show or you know no shade to museum shows or like you know the big commission or whatever but mm -hmm. i'm putting breadcrumbs in the historical record for somebody else to pick them up later on and i sort of that's one thing that i see in your work as well you know it's not about the final iteration of the project it's about okay hey guys remember that this happened mm -hmm. i can't do all of this on my own but here's a little bookmark for you. Yeah. Here's a little image that you can dig into. Here's a name or here's two names. So I think that there's such an important project in just dropping those little hints and those breadcrumbs for people and those little leaving those little trails for people to then eventually follow because I don't know what's going to be important in the future. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, 
save everything. No. Yeah. <laughs> or digitize I mean, it. You know, that's why I go into there. digital projects. And that's why I really appreciate how you're putting these into posters and you're putting these into like VR environments or you're mm-hmm. giving these things new life. It's like we have to keep the stories alive for them to keep, you know, existing in a way, you know? Yeah, I, I think about it like fishing too. Like I'm just yeah. out here looking for somebody to be like, oh, that's interesting. And I'm like, take it, take it, take it <laughs> so I can move yeah. on. Because I'm like, a, you know, I really am like a teacher with 750 kids coming through my class a week. Like my brain got reset when I did that. Yeah. And in a way too, I got very validated with that kind of thinking where I just have to be ide- like, I'm an idea generator and I have like 10,000 projects that I could never possibly do all of them. You know, unless I was the kind of artist that had like a full workshop of people and I would just come in and like whisper some ideas and then they make all my stuff and then I go back to what, I don't know, lounging yeah. or getting high or whatever the hell I imagined in my, <laughs> in that weird secret life that I don't have. Um, but but uh, also too, there's um, somebody who left those breadcrumbs for me, you know. Um, there's all these amazing scholars, there's yeah. these incredible yeah. artists and activists, you know, uh, people whose work, I mean, I'm, I'm walking on the path that other people have laid for me. And I am, your canon. I'm, oh, I am so aware of the fact, okay, so when I got hired as faculty at SAIC, the first thing that happened was there was a parade of people who I was meeting from the neighborhood, you know, because I was going to parties a lot. And, you know, um, uh, hanging out in bars. I don't know. It was my methodology, but I was hanging out with people a lot and, uh, finding out uh, about a lot of, um, uh, Latinas before me who had been denied tenure and everybody said, Oh, you're never going to get it. They don't want your type. They don't want you da, 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 at this school. Look at here's these really great people and really good, like major artists that were, they left yeah um and you will too and so i was like oh dang i mean i i assumed um i just hadn't realized it it was that pronounced and that also that this created its own sort of history for people there right and there's so many people in the neighborhood too that started out as they seen didn't finish um for various reasons you know from like, oh, I joined the movement and had to, or to, you know, I ran out of money or I didn't feel supported or whatever. And I had been an SAIC dropout too. So I kind of felt um, really conflicted. And then I started to talk to the artists that I was meeting and working around, especially these teaching artists and realizing um, there is something to my timing really, you know, that happened. Uh, and I think th- so much stuff is about timing and so much yeah. stuff in our world is about me, you know, being at the right place and the right time and knowing people. And it's just so yucky. <laughs> it is. I was going to say when you mentioned, you know, that, you know, a big part of that was um, going to bars. When I stopped drinking, I feel like my place in the art world fell. Abundantly. Oh, my God. It's the golf course for yeah. artists. And then when I stopped smoking, even more. I mean, now we're all kind of in the same train because, you know, we're all stuck indoors or most of us, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's tough to be a part of a system that, you know, where you're sort of, sort of expected also to fall into those, what, those very specific pathways for success that um, don't work for everybody. If you're worried about your your well-being and you're worried about your body and you're worried about paying the rent and you're worried about, you know seriously able to go to the residency because you know you can't take a month off of rent 
Yeah. Oh, right. Or you can't afford the flight. <laughs> you can't afford the flight or you can't afford to leave your job because it's not going to be here when you come back. Yeah, totally. No, I know. And then back to the like golf course of artists, which is yeah. the getting trashed all the time. Like it's just not a longevity plan. No. But then, you know, a lot of the art world is really built for people you know, there's a big economy around people striving in their 20s to hit one of these tiny, tiny marks yep. that, you know, is really the scarcity model that we've built is just absurd, yeah. you know, um, and and that we've, yeah, anyway, we, we know that this has like gotten out of our hands at this point, you know, and it's like really out of control, but uh, um, yeah, I can't remember what I was going to say about that, but I, I... Oh, we were talking about the histories of the Latinas who didn't make tenure. Oh, yeah. Or the ones who never even got looked at or who yeah. were so convinced that their work wasn't worthy or, you know, yes. um, and I'm talking about people whose work is monumental, really, you know, people whose work uh, is just um, like, had I known about that growing up or if they had been around me when I was growing up, uh, it would have really made me very a, a different human being. Yeah. Yeah. I would feel so different um in the institutions and i would feel a lot more comfortable taking up space you know and and feeling like you know hell yeah i can be here because i'm real timid i i i i'm constantly feeling like i'm you know not welcome right. in um institutions and so yeah. um meeting some of these folks and getting to understand uh where they're coming from um and getting to understand um how they um they knew that they weren't welcome right right uh and that they built these entire thrilling lives outside of that and like went about their business without it um like that's a like one of the biggest sources of inspiration for me um and and also it didn't I, it wasn't that i felt like i needed to feed it or give it back or i don't know that's like kind of the that sounds sort of cheesy. Well, but we're doing it with our daily life you're doing it with you know with having an example of like the life that you're living you know well, I also really just wanted to learn more about them. And I wanted to um, think, I was thinking about, uh, as I tend to do, is the kids in these classes that don't have this model too. So they don't have to go through the same bullshit that I went through of being like, oh, I really don't belong anywhere. Or I don't belong, you know, I shouldn't try to do these things. Or, you know, um, I'm not like, I can see that my work is like better than some of these mediocre folks that are getting all these accolades or whatever. And then just not having the confidence, you know. Right. I've been I've been nominated for major awards that I didn't apply for because I yeah. was and this is recently, you know, like yeah, I still battle with that stuff. There's a real I think that racism and that um, misogyny and um, it's a very active project on the part of those in power yep. to make um, women, to make queer people and to make um, Latino people sort of disappear yeah yeah it's i mean there's an incredible void if yeah. you look at like the city of chicago like where is our leadership yeah. well it's definitely not in the institutions that um a lot of us are working for and a lot of us are moving in and around you know um and and the leadership that would have been there are some of these women that i'm interviewing yeah. You know, um, some of these women that really should be in charge of the places where we're working, you know, uh, and they were just overlooked. And the way that they were overlooked, it just blows my mind. You know, like one of the first people I was like, damn it, I'm going after this history. 
and it was really frustrating because I couldn't find her was um, Malu Ortega, who was a artist in residence at the Casaslan in the 70s. And she got a bachelor's degree in art education at SAIC and then a master's degree in this like degenerative processes, which was this <laughs> program where it's like glitch, you know, but analog. Yeah. And like her prints were about, you know, like taking systems wow. of print and messing it up, you know, and like the leftover sheets and the extra like offset stuff with the solvents on it when it degraded, those were the, her pieces, <laughs> you know, and, and just brilliant. But she also had built the ceramic studio at, at the Casaslan and I had been working in it. I was yeah. working with her tools. Like I was recycling clay. You have no idea. And I was probably putting my hands in the clay that she had, you know, I mean, uh, that, that was, it just blew my mind. So she had, uh, been one of the lead artists on a mural that was painted on Benito Juarez high school when, um, it first opened, you know, in the late seventies and the community had gotten together and said, we want a mural. And, and she had painted this mural with, um, a whole bunch of artists uh, from the neighborhood. Um, and she was one of two lead artists. And um, and like and the people that were assisting and following the, the directions of the two leaders were, you know, all these names that we know now, from Marcos Raya to Robert Valdez to Sal Vega and others. Um, and so what happened was I was, you know, doing all these projects that, Beneath the Juarez, which, you know, for about five years, I was going there regularly, um, just as a personal research project doing these, you know, sort of history teach-ins and learning how to, yeah, it, it was a, a big action research project that yeah. I was involved in. And then one day I was walking into the school and past this, you know, historic mural that was on the school. And I saw her name had been blotted out. And so he written copyright, another artist's name, and I was like, come on, it's like the last place her name existed. You, like nobody's going to know any, we haven't even excavated this history about this person yet. You know, wow. like people don't even know any, I was so, it's just exhausting. I was so mad. I was spitting mad, talked about it. Took a little bit of time, but eventually, you know, somebody turned up Malu in Mexico city and, uh, you know, and she's incredible. You know, she's, uh, as Mexico City artists tend to be, you know, like 25 years ahead of us, you know, saying things about space and places and ways where we're like, oh, man, I'm freaking out, like really advanced, especially around the public art and art education and teaching as the art. I was like, oh, my God, you're like my my idol. You know, I, just, I get to talk to her and she's just everything and a thousand times more, you know, and and she's like glamorous and i kind of wonder if that might have been why she took off too because she's a lot she's just yeah. amazing you know and people might have been like you know <laughs> i don't know i don't know i'm sure there's a lot to it but uh yeah she came back and we got to you know she, i got to drag her right over to benito juarez to the students i've been talking to about this all this time oh, you know? wow. and they got to interview her and talk to her about what was going on and one of their first questions was here's a sharpie do you want to go put your name back right now <gasps> <laughs> oh my god that's amazing and she was like oh well watch and learn because when i come back 
I'm going to have the press with me and I will do it. Yeah. Uh, and I will tell the story and yeah, it happened. So <laughs> that was amazing. But it's also like, you know, a lesson in, um, like it, like how to follow the leads, you know, like I was like, Oh God, there's some big silences around this person. Yeah you know, but I'm catching heavy vibes from people when I ask, like, <laughs> you know, and also too, you're like, oh, wow, they were mentioned one time in the news. That means they did 10,000 things. If they were a woman, they just were overlooked, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's been a couple of people like that, um, that I've been working on and working with and talking to. And I just, you know, here we are in a pandemic and I just worry about these people because they're really, really, so precious and have done so much for a just I, I don't want to take it for granted at all ever uh but it just weighs so much on my mind now that we're living in these terrible times where you know some of us are more vulnerable than others and and mm -hmm. you know a lot of the people um i just wish i had a, a year just to talk to them and interview them and continue this work, you know, and, and, and finish editing the interviews I have done and yeah. get this information out to people. I mean, I'll print it in on a Xerox machine. I don't give a shit. It just needs to get out there because <laughs> this is like the, the life, uh, it's given me so much life. It's like, give you know, it's like, uh, go into an oxygen bar. I feel like really jazz. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, finding those figures and sort of seeing that somebody struggled before and somebody did all these amazing things and yet it didn't seem like it led to much but now I can take that and sort of keep running with it and sort of follow the next path is is, is important it's really important to do those things I'm really impressed for example or maybe impressed is the wrong word but I wish I could take both your decolonizing time travel and then the queer latinx chicago archive class that you're doing about Diana Solis's work and I'm so excited to have a conversation with her, um, which, uh, you know, in the sort of the publishing schedule, her podcast is, I think, coming out before yours, but what a figure. I'm so excited to have that conversation. She's like so amazing. And yeah. this is the thing too, is I hear, you know, I, I ask her stuff, she's telling me about a particular event, then I'll hear her describe it to somebody else and it'll be full of tons of more exciting, like, like just un... I hate saying unbelievable. It is believable to me now, but yeah. you know, if you had just sort of told me about this person and told me some of these sort of escapades and exciting, the decision she made, you know, to yeah. drop things and, and follow romance, for example, and to like, you know, follow her nose in terms of like, there, there weren't people leading the way in any way. Right. Like there, I hate the word pioneer. It's disgusting, but like she was uh, making the road as she walked it, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I always imagine folks are fearless, um, but I've, you know, I'm taking it down a notch uh, cause I know not to build up individuals so much, right? right? Cause there's yeah, this whole hero community. worship is not productive. It's just not. And I was raised that way, you know, to think about individuals as, you know, I mean, and then art school just makes it 10 times worse, but uh, yeah, right. Like to, try to get to how these folks supported themselves in terms of like emotional well-being and confidence and like how did they imagine themselves as leaders or as individuals or you know how did they how did they do it yeah um that stuff i, I just can't get enough of it because also it'd be 
I'm literally just wondering, like, if I was a teen growing up today, if I was a an elementary student, like, what would be fortifying to me to learn about, right? Yeah. Um, and translating some of this stuff into high school curriculum is is easier, I think, for me. And then the next step is to break it into um, uh, something like zines or um, possibly um, online, you know, snippets with pieces that can be built into a sort of a curriculum about, uh, uh, like amazing women's leadership in, especially women of color in Chicago. And, and there's so much more to do. And the problem is, is you do one thing and then there's like, then there's more. <laughs> and then well, the problem slash the exciting part provocations all over invitations like oh it's 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 a thrill and there's um uh i think kind of this turn happening too where it's not i know it's not just me there seems like there's a lot of people getting really jazzed about this stuff and and unlike earlier educational turns or whatever um like the actually building um institutional things like building curriculum right or um i'm hoping that this is what we're experiencing in art now right i mean i feel like i'm feeling around in the dark i'm heaven forbid i ever would mistake myself for a historian or an archivist but <laughs> um i do not uh i know i'm an artist out here working with my expertise which is in being a novice and learning and following other leads right um uh but I am really hoping that um, just in the grand scheme of things that a lot of us that are generating things that will be useful to future generations, like that hopefully will be useful, right? Like making um, content that they can get their hands on are actually channeling this into the schools, right? Yeah. Because they're ours, you know, they're, they're public schools, but like we have responsibility to them. We have responsibility to them like we do to you know, our cities and our um, communities, you know, um, and I feel like that's going to be, I don't know what it's going to be called, but it's going to be hopefully, you know, this, this some of our next big moves. And totally. Also, and I think, you know, I think the best that we can do is what we're doing is just to leave those crumbs, to do the work that we can, to make it available for people. You know, I think that's why this podcast is called archives and futures. Cause you know, I'm not thinking about, you know, the numbers now I'm thinking about, you know, five years from now when I'm still paying the hosting fee, cause I will, um, <laughs> who's going to listen to it and have what's the, what, what, what's going to jog their imagination and their interest. And how is this going to be helpful to, for somebody 20 years from now, when, you know, somebody downloaded the MP3 and suddenly, you know, somebody's grandson finds it on a grandchild finds them on a hard drive or something around. Yeah. Country. You know, we don't know where history is going. We have to do our best to put ourselves in the archive because other people aren't doing it. Nope. <laughs> it's yeah. on us, you know, and if we can do it in artists and, you know, get a class approved that sort of leaves those trails for somebody or, you know, yeah. get a grant to make a podcast, you know, that somebody's going to listen to and remember that somebody talked about this. You know, you have to plant all your seeds and eventually that's how plants grow, you know? Yeah, seriously, seriously. And also to be able to envision, like this is like a new thing. Yeah, but the paradise to, of the Yeah, to be able to envision the longer struggles too. Um, 
which is like, I don't know if it's a getting older for me or what, but, um, or maybe, you know, um, like this ended up being like the final or one of the big conclusions of, you know, a life built on trying to put pieces together and figure out what the hell I should be doing is that, you know, this is sort of at the root of it is knowing these stories before. I mean, it is like a really rad thing, storytelling, you know, it's counter narratives and like the power of, you know, um, uh, talking about things that are very, very clearly excluded. Yeah, it's Um, magic and it's power. It's creating the future that we want. They're doing our part to try to create it. And, you know, especially when it feels like we have so little agency in so many other parts in our life. Yeah. This is important. Can you imagine growing up, though, and having like Malu and Sharon Matthews and Diana Solis, like being in the and Laura Aguilar. And Laura, oh my, like, can you imagine growing up and having known about them just as much as, you know, you would have been expected to know about, you know, anybody else in history? I, I don't even want to name names because it's not even about that right about now. That, yeah. No, it isn't. But it's like, you know, if they had just been sort of like figures that people knew about, right? Like yeah. there are other artists out there that, you know, have uh, pushed up against some of these things and, you know, and that... uh uh, there was actually like representation in our leadership and in our institutions that um, acknowledged our existence in some sort of a way. I mean, it'd be very different because we yeah. don't have that now. And it's not much, at least we don't have much. We have little, but like, you know, I recognize, I recognize representation versus tokenizing. Exactly. And, you know, there's also so many sort of microaggressions about, you know, being called the squeaky wheel or mm-hmm. a loud one or you know being told that you know it's too much emotional labor to have you be involved in this or you know all those sort of things that work to keep us away from things um heaven forbid your life would be like kind of you know i, I this is it's gonna sound bad I, I don't know how else to say it but like that your life would be messy you know or you're like I don't know, have kids or like exactly. be bad or the thing that isn't the thing that people want to project, you know? <laughs> yeah, what, what, what vacuum are you living in that you don't, right. you know, that you don't understand that this is the way the world lives? Getting old has been liberating though. I'm just like, yeah. fuck it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Who cares? This is not yeah. going to matter in five years. I've lived for enough, you know, multiples of five to know that like most of the things people worry about i don't i'm not gonna even remember in five years it's not real yeah and and i feel like it's a little bit liberating yeah to reach this point where i'm like uh a little a little freer to say things you know having a little bit of privilege to you know stretch my wings a little bit and you know hopefully hopefully it's helpful to somebody in the future but you know, like, like putting together this class uh, about Diana Solis's work is like such an extreme privilege. I've, I've not been allowed to develop a class of my own. And I'm putting a little too much on it, though. Like, I'm so, so freakishly over the top excited to talk about this stuff with other people. um, And to have people that she's a part of it. That she's still somebody that you can be like, hey, Diana, what's up? It's not like a lost archive that was discovered. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Oh, I know. And and not to have the responsibility of of having to like figure it all out, but just be like, hey, young artist, like, what is this doing for you? Like, how is this taking you to places? Yeah. Like, well, how do you respond? Like, where's what's happening now in this? 
how did this build for you? Like, totally. you know, and, and also like sort of handing stuff to some of these young artists and, and letting them respond to it, yeah. you know, actually asking them to make some sort of a response, be it written or, um, art making our work around it or yeah there's a um a lot of potentials for that but i'm i'm actually um gonna try to get as uh as possible with the syllabus and let it get led and and altered i've just made like a gigantic um buffet <laughs> and that's so exciting I'm trying to keep the structure in there because nobody likes a you know runaway train vibe but <laughs> um there's a lot of different directions you know this can go like I, and i'm very willing to acknowledge that not everybody's like chicago history woo 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 like there's a lot of people that are just like i'm not really here there for that and they're you know gonna be people coming from probably a few different points of view around like chicano studies kind of stuff for example yeah. you know or you know um uh all different you know there might be some hardcore photo people which in advance i apologize for not knowing nearly enough to be involved but looking i'm good like i, I feel like we've got some there's just a, you know i mean this could be like a five-year study it really does need to be you know uh uh worked on by a lot of artists and it's really important to me that artists get a crack at it before yeah. you know people that are detached from this person and uh might be you know, academics working on it in different ways, take this and start to run with it. I want to, I want to see what, um, artists that are working, um, uh, where they go with this. And I want to see what, what they see in it. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Nicole, this has been such an amazing conversation. You know, I had all these sort of like questions to sort of Again, you know, thinking about like the the example of the class that I wanted to sort of like add some structure, but like in our tangents, I've co we've covered everything. This is oh, good. <laughs> this has been such an enriching and exciting conversation, and I feel so excited about uh, everything that you're doing. And just um, knowing that this is going to be the last one of the season is also so great because we've covered so many of the um, the squishy bits that I'm so excited about in doing this project. You know, the sort of the soul nurturing thing. So. I want to thank you so much for your time. This has been so, so good. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. This has a, a, been a really uh, soul-warming conversation. I mean, it seems as if, you know, even like in planning this class, I'm like, will it be about Chicago history? Will it be about Latinx? Will it be about like gay stuff? Will it be about art? You know, like we've been so used to dissecting ourselves and, you know, yeah. it's just nice to be all together in one place. It's a rare thing. Agreed. Special. Nicole, where can people find you online? Um, well, I do a little bit of blogging and I occasionally update my website, but in these pandemic times when I'm working around grading on a curve. I am not updating my website. Boy, you'd think everybody's websites would be up to date, but they are not. <laughs> yeah, no, um, listen, message for everybody. This is trauma we're going through. And it it's is going to affect how much we can do in a day and how much we're able to manage and that's mm -hmm. okay it is yourself it is it is and and someday maybe by the time this comes out maybe not <laughs> i will uh be easy to find on the old uh nicomarroquin.com and also um 
occasionally updating, more often updating on the Facebook one, Ugh, the most detestable Facebook, but uh, <laughs> that, uh, Chicago Raza Research Consortium, which is really just me. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, around on the social medias. Um, I'm trying to rein it in and not make more pages because that's just more page. This is why social media people need to be paid more. Oh my goodness, keeping stuff up is- It's a job, a job. it's a lot of work. Yeah, but um, respect to the people that do it. Um, I'm not um, keeping up with everything at all times, but I really do hope that there's a public facing element to the research that we do with Diana, um, just because there's been people coming out of the woodwork asking, can they be in the class? And it's not like, I can't really do that. Yeah. And it's not my work to just spread around, you know? Right. Um, but that um, uh, making some things that will be visible Definitely the curriculum that I put together, it's writings by other people and things like that. But the framework around it, it will definitely be shared. But um, I'm not quite sure yet what form that's going to take. You know, I've been maybe dabbling a little too much in AR and VR. And now I want to see a three-dimensional archive that surrounds my head. Oh my gosh, that's so exciting. It, it is. <laughs> well, yeah, everybody listening, go check out NicoMarroquin.com. Uh, might be updated, might not, but just keep going. Cause, Who knows? Yeah. Thank you Thank so, you so much, much, Nicole. Oh, it's been wonderful. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. And that is our interview with Nicole Marroquin. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I cannot believe we're at the end of the season. Enormous thanks to everyone who helped with the project, the entire DPAM team, incredible artists who were so generous with their time and so open with the conversations that we had and of course you the listener for coming along for the ride thank you one last time this year to natalie murillo aka la spacer for our theme music go check her out at laspacer.com archives and futures a podcast for future generations was produced recorded researched and edited by me ivan lozano in chicago illinois check out my work at ivanlozano.net or ivan lozano studio on ig and thank you for listening to this episode and to the second season of interviews it's been such an honor to have these conversations and be able to put them online for you all i'm not sure yet what the future holds for a potential season three of the podcast but if you'd like to help make it happen reach out to me let's work together to keep this project going stay safe everyone and thank you for your support. It means the world to me.